If you're a business owner or senior manager, you probably had more than enough about all the wonderful opportunities awaiting you in the era of digitalization. Whether it is big data, cloud, data science, or whatever buzzword is currently trendy. If you would like to hear someone dissecting these claims and showing you what it actually takes to improve business processes, you're in the right place. This is Between Data and Risk, where we discuss real-life examples of what works and what doesn't in the world of business operations. Hi, I'm your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Marian Siwiak, and with me is my co-host, Artur Guja, Cognition Shared Solutions Chief Risk and Strategy Officer. Hello. Welcome to the ninth episode of Between Data and Risk. Today, we'll be talking about lessons learned from consulting CEOs on enterprise architectures. We are excited to have with us today our guest, Dr. Tushar Hazra, former NASA researcher, serial C-level executive, and now a consultant who agreed to share some of his experiences with us. Hello, Tushar. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, if we could start with maybe the most interesting lessons that you learned on, on, on your journey from NASA researcher to, to advisor to multiple CEOs. Well, first off, let me say that, you know, most important part in consulting is really to listen to the customer. I think most of the time, I find that if we listen to the customer and their needs and their requirements, it definitely establishes a very conducive relationship. Let me explain that a little more, uh, Marian. In most cases, when I go in, usually I come in when the customer or the client is having one problem or the other. And the problem could be anything where the customer started to go in a new direction, or perhaps they started doing something and it didn't go in the direction that they wanted, or they had other consultants before me who came in and provided one set of advice and guidance that did not fulfill the needs of the customer. Now, as you know, you mentioned that, you know, from the serial CEO into architect and consultant, I want to clarify a couple of things. I started at NASA as a senior software engineer. I had very little domain expertise about what NASA does. I also didn't know enough about the culture and the environment of the, the customer, which is NASA. I was actually working for General Electric providing support and services and solutions to NASA. NASA at any given point of time had multiple, you know, mission that they were running. Most of them were earth observing and some of them was remote sensing and tethering and so on. So as I started, I started thinking what I do, how does that impact my customer? You know, if we really want to make something positive for our customer, we must listen to them. We must understand their problems. And in some cases, they may not necessarily know all the problems they are having and which one needs to be prioritized, which one can be, you know, looked at at a later time. So, you know, again, my lessons learned is learning and sorry, listening and learning from my customers because knowing their business domain, knowing their requirements, knowing their challenges, knowing their risk factors is extremely important to provide right consulting solutions. As a consultant, I learned one thing really quickly. That is, if I can solve the problem, I will solve the problem and then I will be out of the door. What that means <clears throat> that I have to go find another job. But if I do a good enough job, the customer will start to rely on me. They will trust on my you know, advice, my guidance, my experience, my expertise, my knowledge and skills. And in fact, 
I don't have to look for a new job. My customer will do that for me. They will try to find yet another problem that they have. And even though that may not be in my sweet spot, they will request that I look into it. So my second, you know, lessons learned is once you know the customer, try to make them comfortable. Make them feel that you are part of their team. You are not an outsider. You really own the problem that they are having. And you have to start believing in the solution options that you would like to present to the customer, making sure that the customer understands where you're coming from. They also understand that you have gained enough knowledge of their environment. You also have got some insight to their culture and be able to put all of those elements together in order for you to successfully continue to engage and provide solutions that would not just solve the current problem, but also could eliminate some of the challenges that the customer doesn't even know at this point. So that's what I believe is the key part of you know, any consulting engagement that I have really succeeded. Now, and that's, learning, sorry, go ahead, sir. Uh, so that it's very interesting because the first episode of this podcast that, that we did was actually about listening to your data. Uh, and uh, now you, you, it's kind of, you also listen to your customer. It's, it, it's so basic that uh, it, it's, it's, it's almost a truism, but it, it seems like it's, it's still extremely valuable advice because people are just not doing that in, uh, you know, in, the, in the wild world. That's, what, that's why people who, who really have this skill are so valuable. I think, exactly. I, I, I think there is a, a, a bit of a problem with some of the, let's say, I would say, established uh, consultancies from some of our clients said that they have workbooks and dozens of them. So whenever you mm, show them the problem, they take a workbook, something similar that worked in the past, and they and they replicate it. Uh, it such such su such approach like it's also like when you hire a new manager and he comes to your working place with a with a goal of replicating his previous working place, it's, uh, it's a similar um, situation when they are not listening to, 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 to what is happening in the, in the new place. They try to replicate what they did in the, in the old place. It reminds me of an old joke about mathematicians. Like if you have a house which is on fire, you have a fire hose, a hydrant, and a mat uh, box of matches. How, how, what do you need to make the house not to burn? You need to attach the fire hose to the hydrant and then to pour the water onto the fire. So this, this one is obvious. Now you have another situation. Uh, you have house which is not burning. You have a fire hose, a hydrant and matches. What do you do in order not to, you know, for, for the house not to be burning? And mathematicians tend to say you need to light up the, the house. So it's identical situation to, to, to the previously Modern. solved problem. <laughs> uh, so this is unfortunately uh, too often mm, visible in, in my world. Uh, I've seen it multiple times where people were just trying to replicate something that they did because it was successful, but it was not adjusted to the context. But let's, let, let's start with like enterprise architecture. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, What's what's your understanding, Tushar? I know that you're also an excellent educator. I've heard you, uh, I've heard you speaking and explaining stuff. How would you explain er enterprise architecture to, to 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 someone who thinks about if they need it, like you know, I don't know, mid-sized growing companies? They are thinking, okay, maybe we should start playing with with with, with this idea. What is enterprise architecture? Um, Marianne, if you don't mind, I would like to quickly add a couple of things to the previous conversation. Very Absolutely. Absolutely. Before we go into enterprise architecture. So one of them was, you know, listening to the data. And the other part was really, you know, how not to rely on all the previous experience and come up with something that is innovative. Because what we do see today, that the change is constant. 
and we really have to make sure that we stay up with it. What I have done, I've actually created some frameworks. These are, you know, very easy to use. I don't necessarily go and profess my, you know, frameworks to anybody. I have made some publications so that people are aware of it. But in general, there are two things. Listening to the data doesn't happen until you build that level of confidence on your customer, on the client. If they don't trust you, if they don't feel confident with you, they don't feel comfortable with your thought process, they would never, ever let you get close to their data because the data <laughs> is the king. You know, If you get the data, if that's the jewel for the company, they would like to protect it by any means. So what I always do, I try to show them some examples where we have done something that is similar or something that has a merit of its own. Then I start continuing to build the relationship. The way I do it, I have a matrix. I create X, Y, and Z axis of the matrix. It's a three-dimensional matrix. Mm -hmm. It follows all the business problems, all the technology assets, software, hardware, and the investment they are making. By showing them that in a project that they are running, they are losing money, you actually raise the question to them, do you really want to spend the money? Or do you want to you know, stop this bleeding and maybe move to another project that's paying you more? So that way, I kind of bring the, you know, the discussion home. They get to it, and then they would follow my thought process, and they will feel confident and comfortable sharing with me. One, the second what, one. Uh -huh. Go ahead, Arthur. Uh, just to just to just to add on this point, because uh, in addition to our trilayer methodology, we also have something which we called uh, a synergistic prioritization matrix. Uh, we we do something very similar. So when there is a there is a problem or a set of problems, in in, in order to select the most pressing ones, we right. we select set of criteria. We, 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 we evaluate different problems or facets of the, of the problem, uh, but it's not just a square matrix. We also add a roof where we uh, take into account uh, interactions between different problems and, and different solutions. So yep. what you are saying about uh, having a mat matrix which is showing like uh, with numbers, let's say it puts a number to a problem, is something that we practice ourselves. We yep. we have our methodology for that. I, I but it's seen... it's interesting the three dimensionality of it because they, you you put, you put you put the the problem against the, the hardware as well the te the technology which is uh, which is something that is uh, uh, you know I, I haven't seen that before. What what kind of prompted this this addition of this extra extra dimension? The two things that prompted it are the one are the one of them was really to focus on the business domain. So there are companies who are doing healthcare. And if I go and tell them something that I have developed for financial services, they'll say, well, that does not necessarily apply to us because we're a healthcare company. So what I have done then, I've done enough industry research to be able to pick the pluses and minuses of doing certain things in a certain way and that is what goes in on the third dimension. The, mm -hmm. the research that I have done, they actually have two models. One is algorithmic model. That's really coming from how big the healthcare companies are, where they would fit in, how they would fit in. And then the other part, which is really on their revenue, their financial models, their compliance, their governance, and all of those that are internal to this specific company. So having those around with me on the you know, axis, I can see much clearer picture. I actually thought of adding yet another dimension, which was more towards helping them look at some of the common problems which goes in any vertical market, whether you are healthcare, whether you are retail, supply chain, or you know, you are on the financial services, these common areas are always equally important, if not 
you know, one higher than the other. The second thought process I had on the dimensions was really to make it easy to see a visual model, which is creating mm-hmm. some sort of trend, creating a three-dimensional, you know, I, I would call them almost like a set of pyramids, which would allow you to see where the problems are spiking up and where the problems are not so acute. And by doing that, I allow the senior decision makers to be able to get a quick snapshot in the early morning and they can say, ah, this one is not going too well. I need to be a little careful about it. Or ah, this one is really making enormous progress. So maybe I should send some kudos to the team and let them know that we're doing well, continue and, you know, speed ahead, you know, things like that. Now, I think, Marion, if you want, I can go into enterprise architecture. So. I still still want to what, what you say about because I, I think it's important for our listeners to, to know what, what they should expect from, 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 from not only like consultants, but, you know, whatever internal work they are, you know, managing and whatever reports they are getting. Uh, I think that learning from consultants how they convince people uh, is, is also a learning factor for, for, for anyone who is expecting reports. So this, this di- multidimensionality, because my feeling is, correct me, before we will get to, 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 to architectures, I think this topic of visualization, I was uh, lecturing communication of, of, of business data a couple of years ago at the university as well. Uh, but uh, this, uh, my feeling was that the higher the information goes, the more simplified it gets. So the CEO gets so simplified model of, of, the, of what's happening uh, that it's really hard to really understand why the things are the way they are because everybody pushing the report upstairs is adding the layer of uh, happy breathing and removing the layer of, uh, of detail. So sometimes i i i met i met ceos who who felt like they are the most clueless pay person in the whole company because w- what they get is not much different from right. this color in children's coloring books like you know right. yeah so we are selling a lot and we will sell even more mm-hmm. and we are spending less and we will be spending even less mm-hmm. it's yeah. uh, they when they tried uh, when they were thinking about getting into nitty-gritty and try to understand what's happening in the business, they were seen as, you know, intimidating, over-controlling, and uh, people were, you know, very, very scared when, when they asked about, you know, direct data. How, how, how do you think it should, like, you know, look like? <laughs> well, very fast. You, you actually described the problems I faced at least, you know, 15 times before I came across this whole idea of doing the matrix. So, you know, most of the time, the CEOs or the C-suite used to get the information which is diluted. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you keep on filtering the information, obviously, that's what you get. Nobody wants to show anything complex and things going wrong. So then what I have done, I created a multi-layered model. Mm-hmm. These multiple layers are skins of the model. So if the CEO feel, you know, feels comfortable, he or she could quickly click the second layer and see more. In fact, it would show the priorities, the risk factors, and everything in that layer. Usually, these layers are in par with various architectural frameworks. You know, like TOGAF is one which I have used pretty often. And, you know, in this particular situation, you know, I used their business reference model, their technology reference model, performance reference model, and then created what I call conceptual model, which is very high level. Then come down and use something logical. Then come down, look into physical implementation. And all the way up to the point where you can even see the network connections and everything. And no, nothing is hidden from the C-suite. If he or she who is in charge wants to see it, can go at any length 
and see all the details. So that makes everyone underneath be very careful what they want to hide and what they want to publish. <laughs> and once you press that publish button, you cannot take it back. If you want to take it back, you got to go back upward and ask for permission that I made a mistake in this part. Would you kindly review it and let me refine it and revise it? Yes, that adds complexity, that adds a little more time, but that also gives the governance the opportunity to be able to manage the risk, the compliance factors, any issues, and so on. So this matrix, I call it active matrix. There is a reason behind that. It is active. As soon as I start putting it on, I actually start early. When I go into the customer, I start interviewing the C-suite and all the way down to the developers, I put everything, I come home and I put everything into my matrix. And it becomes, at that point, I publish it, that this is what I found. Then I let them review. You know, every person who is involved with the project or the initiative get a chance to review it. And once all these are approved, we call it golden copy. At that point, it's kind of frozen. You cannot change the parameters anymore. But we can always add new elements. We could actually retire a project. We could actually look into agile DevOps versus the you know, traditional method and say which direction I'm going to go. My investment that I have made in any particular project, it shows at any given point of time how much money has been spent. What has been delivered? Is it proportionate? Is it really making sense? So I call it IMP, which is investment management planning. And that mm -hmm. stays towards the CFO's office. So they can have a very clear understanding where they're heading with any particular project or the overall program or portfolio of projects. If they have product development, if they have projects, they can easily isolate one from the other to make sense of what would be necessary and what should be you know, considered moving forward. I have a question, just want to clarify, because uh, you, you mentioned these models. Uh, are these conceptual models or do you have them encapsulated in, in some, some sort of software that you use to, to, to deliver this to the client? I do have specific software particularly on the architecture side. And, and once we talk on the architecture, I will give more details. Mm -hmm. But I mm -hmm. also do plain, straightforward Microsoft, Pro, Microsoft PowerPoint or Microsoft Visio just to give the business folks the ability to draw something that they are familiar with. So if I go to a company and I see that they're you know, very heavy on using Microsoft you know, PowerPoint or maybe Microsoft Visio. I just want to warn them that ultimately I will put it in a BPMN tool or business process management uh, mm -hmm. notation or modeling notation or something like UML, which is mm -hmm. unified modeling mm -hmm. language. And since nowadays those two are kind of universal, everybody understands, everybody sees it. It makes it easier for us to make changes, you know, on the fly. It allows people to be able to dig in and start saying, well, no, 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 this is not really a decision point. This is something where I'm going to have a completely new external system plugged in. And that would be fine. All we would do is change the shape of the, the mm -hmm. you know, diagram and, and go with it. Uh, in our tri-layer modeling, where we also model the processes at this data layer and risk layers, we also based it on, on, on BPMN because it's a standard. Like I, I don't believe that the good consultant should bring his own you know, toolbox, which he forces everyone else to, to, to use. And <laughs> we try to be technology agnostic. And uh, I, I'm, I, I'm sometimes joking as well that if the client wants to have all the, all the processes on the, on the PowerPoint, it's uh, who am I to, 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 to judge? I would prefer them to have something more, you know, interoperable and, and, and uh, controllable. But uh, 
the conceptual model can be put on any tool. However, the BPMN modeling tools are, are, are very powerful and we also uh, exactly. advise on, on, on using them because there is no reason to bash open doors. It's like, uh, why, two, uh, why should two we? Two other things to add, uh, Marianne. One, you don't want to give the client a feeling that you want to add more work you know, to what they're already facing. And number two, it is very important to use all the resources, including the tools that the customer has invested Absolutely. on. You know? Yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's, let's say, the, the, the basics, the one-on-one of, of <laughs> consulting. Let's get to, to, so to architectures. Absolutely. Arthur, did you have another question? Uh, no, just just uh, I'm very very keen to 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 hear the, what 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 your comments are on on uh, enterprise architecture and uh, because I'm it's it's something that's uh, kind of uh, you know not new to me but something that I, where I not consider myself expert I'm very keen to learn about it. So uh, my you know introduction or you know really getting anywhere close to architecture started when I was a little kid. You know, I went to different places, different towns, and I used to take pictures of the buildings, you know, and I took the pictures just to see if there is any similarity, dissimilarity, anything done differently and why I would explore that further. And the idea for me was, you know, it's all about architecture. That means, you know, really looking into the shape, the design, and if there was any pattern that gives me an idea why this is you know more accessible why people are living in those areas more why they are moving so it was more of a city planning kind of architecture mm-hmm. then you know when i went to my engineering program i started looking into you know two streams one was more a, relevant to the computer science stream. At that time, IT did not necessarily exist. And the other part was architecture. And I don't know whether this is something I should say in a podcast, but I used to see all the nice girls around the architecture program. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I used to think, why are they all there? And why there is so many you know, guys or my friends they are joining architecture. They're all going to the science, which is computer science. So one day I actually stopped one or two of my friends and I asked them, what do you all do in your architecture? Again, this was more towards, you know, the building, the constructions and things that you can touch and feel. Now, enterprise architecture is actually just the opposite. Very few people could admit that I have touched the architecture because there is no way you can touch the architecture for the enterprise as a whole or in its entirety. The reason behind that, first off, architecture is a framework. It is really based on certain specific standards. It is not at all all technology-based. I believe enterprise architecture should be part of the business units or business groups or business Mm -hmm. organizations. I have my reason in believing that because if you want to architect a business, if you don't understand the business well, I can tell you, you know, with about 99% guarantee that you will not succeed in delivering your enterprise architecture. So if I have to now come back and define enterprise architecture, I will tell I will tell you that first I would like to define architecture. Architecture is a discipline. It is a set of processes. It is a set of frameworks. It is as much of an art as it is a science. So then if I take these three things and start thinking what would be an architecture for a business? I would say I will look into the business processes that are involved. I will look at you know, the standards and the frameworks that they may have been using. They could be both ways. I would call them as is, where they are currently at. And then 
I would start building two things. One would be a set of blueprint, which again has to be flexible, it has to be agile, it has to be absolutely composable. Something that I, if I need to make changes, I would make those changes easily without affecting rest of the business or, you know, the organization. So that's my way of defining architecture. Now, as soon as we add the word enterprise, the very first thing I do, I add a whole lot of complexity to the word architecture. Because as, and as I say, an enterprise, it's consisting of multiple business organizations. And as soon as you do that, there has to be some interfaces so that they could interact, communicate, share information, share data, being able to you know, rely on multiple applications that they would build together, which I actually call them shared services. And don't forget security and governance. Security is something you cannot retrofit. You have to start with security. So as soon as I call it enterprise architecture, it has to have wall all across it for the external folks to come in or external organizations to interact. They will have to go through a channel to get the authentication and authorization so they could enter the enterprise. For the internal folks, employees, associates, and you know, consultants and everybody else, the contractors, there may be a different set of path. You would see sometimes when you go to a store, you would see, or maybe to a doctor's office, you will see the doctor and their staff are coming in through different doors. That's they don't usually go in and out through the door which patients use. There is a reason behind that. For the patients, they can come in and go out whenever they want because they are not going to have the access to any information that belongs, you know, to the practice. And those who are, you know, accessing the information, appliances, any kind of, you know, elements that are used or ingredients that are used by the doctors and their you know, partners, they will be protected because they want to make sure that those information doesn't go out to a competitive you know, doctor, because I can work in one doctor's office for six years, and then I say, well, you know, he's not, or she's not paying me enough, so I go to the next doctor, and I'll take some information with me and sure. tell them how these things are done, and that is not acceptable. So then, in an enterprise architecture, we put security, but we also do governance. These are the two things that you would see being, becoming more and more intense. In a regular architecture, you will see they do have what we call architecture review board. That means I have two responsibilities. One, to help the business understand the pros and cons of architecture. Why should they have it? What benefit they should expect? And second thing is to make sure that they are not going to be, you know, um, uh, obstructed or you know, refrain from doing the things that they want to do. And that means the, the architecture has to be flexible enough and it has to really stay focused on the business. It has to be, you know, providing certain values. And most of the time, I actually create metrics, M-E-T-R-I-C-S, metrics, not mm -hmm. metrics, okay? Metrics <laughs> are basically performance <laughs> indicators. And I go out and create the, the, these metrics up front, and I share that with the business, you know, domain experts and business architects and, you know, business owners or business, you know, C-suite and making sure that they are all in agreement that, yes, those are the things that are important. Once we figure that out, we start going to the technical folks and try to see if they could enable the business architecture. Now, if I have enterprise architecture, I would definitely have more than one business, you know, area or business organizations involved, and they would have their own business architecture, their own domain specific things. 
Long time back, I used to work for an insurance company. They had four lines of business. We had one which was individual business. We had one that was institutional. We had another one that was auto and home. There is another part that was international. Now, if you look across the board, you will see there are certain things that were common to each one of those business four business units. So what I created, I created a platform based on the enterprise architecture principles, guidelines, and coding standards. I wanted to make sure that everybody is following certain specific you know, regulations, mandates, that I managed to get approved or buy-in from the business unit leaders or the division managers. Once I have that, then I created a group called Shared Services Group. And they actually used to take over on one part of the architecture, which is the governance of those common services. Security, integration, being able to have you know, any kind of technology selections were all part of this shared services team. Then I went into each one of those four business units and created application architects, business architects, you know, infrastructure architect, but then those were ultimately reporting to the CTO, chief technology officer. Unfortunately, this insurance company did not have an enterprise, you know, chief technology officer. So I was given the role of a de facto chief technology <laughs> officer. It was not a wise decision on my part to take the charge of entire, you know, ECIT, uh, Enterprise Commerce IT, and the CTO role. So what I quickly decided that I want to delegate to different, you know, architects, different roles. So the data, security, you know, information, they were all given to different people. And then it made it easier for me to focus on the principles, the guidelines, the standards, and bringing those things to the ground level to the architects and developers in each business unit by providing them with a weekly or a periodic, you know, I used to call them town hall meetings where I would go out and explain to them what enterprise architecture is doing, why we will not hold them back in their progress that they are making in, you know, developing solutions or integrating solutions or maybe modernizing or transforming solutions. So the enterprise architecture, it's actually easier to describe than to define. But I actually feel, you know, in fact, I'm, I don't know, again, uh, you may have to edit it, Marianne, but <laughs> I am planning to write a book on enterprise architecture with three things in mind. One would be focusing on strategy, which is looking upward into the C-suite. Second one is the innovation, which is really going from top to bottom, because I believe in an innovation, everybody takes part. You know, one of my friends recently, not so recently, wrote a book on innovation starts with I. And in that book, this author, my friend, she has actually described how it goes with I to we to all. I, you know, strongly prescribe to, to that philosophy and that thought process. But the book that I'm doing on innovation, I am really staying very much focused on why innovation needs to use technology as an enabler and why technology has a role to play. And everybody in the organizations should have some familiarity, whether he or she is in business or in technology, should understand the concepts of uh, enterprise architecture. It's, it's fascinating what, what, what you're saying, because actually in the, in the last episode, uh, Marian and I discussed uh, the concept of federated uh, business governance. And, uh, you know, in, 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 in your uh, description of enterprise architecture, you pretty much went through all the concepts that we discussed, uh, you know, having a cent central uh, governance, which focuses on value statements, on principles, uh, having shared services as an enabler 
providing the you know for 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 specific business domains what should be kind of common and what is uh, in fact usually um not not uh, um, possible to to deliver on on each individual uh, uh, business domain, and also the the the, the fact that uh, you know each business domain is is best placed to 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 deliver their own uh, kind of corner of the of the functionality or or governance. So there's there's no point imposing on them something centrally. They they should they should know what what they're doing. Another another point that we were covering a couple of uh, episodes ago, we spoke of what you said, this I, uh, innovation starts with I. We were talking about the ego and we had the whole discussion about the role of the ego in the development of uh, of, of the of the companies, of the of the enterprise. And I was uh, standing at the, at the position that uh, ego is something which is not, shouldn't be prohibited. It's needed yeah. as a driving force. And uh, not taking this uh, into account, this, this driving force is is uh, uh, it's asking for for complacency and for for stagnation in the in the company. So it's uh, I, I must say that we would like to interrupt you more often, but you know we are just sitting here and nodding because what you're talking is uh, is in alignment with with our experiences and some of it we we already we already already said. Uh, but uh, you know. Uh, Actually, you know, maybe such a you know question like you you are working with CEOs and uh, you consult them. We try to 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 you know give some practical advice to 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 our listeners. Like, what should be the first step for the CEO to introduce the the, the enterprise architecture? Like, you know, the first thing he woke up one morning and said, "Oh my goodness, I've he- I, I've heard Doctor uh, Tushar on the on this on this uh, podcast." Accidentally, because I'm not listening to it usually, uh, <laughs> and uh, I need enterprise architecture in my in my organization. What should I do as a first thing when I can get get back to work? I think you know that's that's what this book is going to be about: the strategy, innovation, <laughs> and leadership. The third part, leadership, is where that you know all of a sudden waking up on a dream, sweating. Oh my God! I don't have an enterprise architecture. Am I going to succeed <laughs> or am I going to fail? You know, the answer is simple. I don't think it is that acute that you're going to fail, but you would make better progress if you had a structured approach and you have a framework and you have certain processes that everybody is willing to adopt and adapt to. So, Arthur, your question, you know, that, you know, you have seen that most people, they want to see something and they are looking into it, but not being able to really embrace it. I think that comes through the leadership. And again, for me, leadership does not necessarily include only the C-suite execs. Leaders can be anywhere in the organization. So you need to be able to, you know, what we call spread the beans, you know, being able Mm -hmm. to get it to everyone and everyone knows what their role and responsibilities are. So what I would suggest, uh, you know, uh, Marianne, for that executive, to really start looking at who's doing what. You know, the insurance company that I talked with you about, as I said, I was given the de facto role to become the CTO, and I did have some nightmare that, okay, how am I going to manage all these things in addition to supporting, you know, as a deputy CIO, all the four lines of business on the ECIT front. So what I actually did, I created a charter of the enterprise architecture. And in there, I created a RACI matrix. The RACI matrix is responsibility, accountability, mm-hmm. you know, consulting, informative, and things like that. And I then shared that with everybody in the organizations, but not giving them unlimited amount of time. I give them, you know, three, four, five days, depending on how busy this person is, that can you tell me if you see any value in this? And then I created two things. One was value stream, how the revenue and work products are flowing through the, you know, uh, companies, you know, step by step into the decision-making process and the value chains, which includes products or service offerings, that we are really bringing to the customer. 
there are some, one of them is horizontal, the other one is more of a vertical things. So obviously there are some cross points where they connect. And I took all those things and I called them nodes. That's the point that I wanted to identify and then created a map to define what would be the priority for my you know, direct reports and what would be their responsibility for their direct reports and all the way trickle it to the level that it reaches to the ground level and everybody knows how to embrace the architecture. They also, you know, understands that this is not to slow them down. This is not to create a roadblock. This is not to create some sort of barriers, but help them and help them accelerate and excel with the work that they're doing. It usually takes, after the dream, it takes about six more weeks before it becomes actionable. Now, most of the time, many large organizations will not have any problem giving enterprise architecture six weeks worth of runway. But if you go to a small and mid-sized companies, six weeks is a lot of time. So what we have to do in those cases is what I call light, L-I-T-E, architecture. No, it's not an enterprise architecture. I'm not going to add all the bells and whistles yet. I will start attaching them once I know and see the results. And as I continue making progress, I should be able to, you know, modify, refine, and make it composable so that I can break it apart anytime I feel like, add new technology, new framework, and so on. It's, it's interesting because the, the, you know the, the almost uh, you, you almost answered my next question because I, I was going to ask uh, you know if, if because we work a lot with with startups and 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 small firms uh, you know founders and uh, very often we hear that uh, you know, they don't want to hear about enterprise architecture because there's there's three of them or five of them they don't they they're, they're not concerned with those those big words they 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 want to get something up and running so this concept of of uh, building enterprise architecture as almost a kind of uh, a layered thing is 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 something that's, that's a very useful concept and another thing arthur i usually hide the word architecture underneath the umbrella of strategy, innovation, and leadership, because even the small you know, startups, they cannot avoid having one of those three as their priority. And one thing I, I'm just going to do a little bit of marketing on, on this point, uh, um, Marianne, if you don't mind. The book I'm writing would have some comic strips. It would have <laughs> on one side something funny, so people would take a look at it and laugh for a second. And then on the other side, I will provide very detailed, in-depth, you know, observations, lessons learned, takeaways. Even towards the end of the book, I would provide some, you know, recipes which they could use. It's, you know, Marianne, at one point you mentioned about a workbook or playbook some consultants take with them. I actually want to eliminate the idea by providing some structure that people could use and also allows the consultants to, you know, express their insight to the consultant so that the consultants also get a little more knowledgeable about the culture, the environment, and the folks that he or she might be working with. No, it's uh, it's excellent idea. But what, what we we try to do in our work, we n- not write the comic strips. We don't try to be comical here. We are deadly <laughs> serious always. Uh, but what we try to do is to, to 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 create a framework which allows people to you know change their processes uh, in a in a visible, transparent manner. And uh, I am a big believer of of like flexible frameworks and inclusive definitions. Like, again, we, we spoke about it uh, recently. Uh, Sorry, uh, Mary. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I uh, took the approach through the comic strips, first off, enterprise architecture is a really you know, dry subject. It mm-hmm. does not have as much uh, you know, juice that people would really like to get their arms around it and say, okay, I want to be an enterprise architect. I have not 
I have been teaching in various universities since 1990. I have not heard one person coming to me and says, how could I become enterprise architect? <laughs> I wish I had, you know, because they try to stay away thinking like Arthur, you were saying that, oh, I don't want to get into this nitty gritty details of enterprise architecture. Just give me something working. Okay. And I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's it's great, and uh, you know we we can't uh, can't wait to actually uh, read your book uh, when uh, when when it comes out. Do do let us know, and uh, we'll we'll definitely advertise it on the podcast. Thank you. Okay, I think it's. Uh, do we have any uh, any more pressing questions, Arthur? Uh, no, I think that's that that is all that that, that we have time for, and uh, let's hope it's uh, useful to someone. Thank you for listening. For further information on enterprise architectures, we can recommend listening to What's Your Baseline podcast, where the host Roland Wald talks about business transformations that are guided by enterprise architecture business process management. Also, because we like to be practical, we recommend you listen to real-world enterprise architecture podcast by Reggie Cole, where he shares his personal insights into the practice of enterprise architecture. As usual, all links to the references will be available in the notes to this episode. Also, don't miss the next one. We'll be, we'll be constructively disagreeing on the topic of design thinking and its value as a process within the context of business operations. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or visit bdr.show to find out more about the future episodes and guests. You can also check out cognition.llc for more information on Cognition Shared Solutions, our services, and other events hosted by us. For now, it's thank you from myself, Artur Guja, and my co-host, your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Marian Siwe. Goodbye.